Hey everyone, Clay here. Just wanted to let you know my graphic novel Bloody Hell is now for sale in stores and on Amazon. So if you'd like to help support the show, get yourself a copy of that. Thanks so much. Here's the show. Hello, welcome back to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast, where we talk about films off the Rotten Tomatoes, 200 best horror movies of all time list. My name is Clay, and with me as always is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm just Andy. How are you? I'm good. I want everybody to know that if you shoot me, you can only make me dead. No. Damn it, I screwed <laughs> it up. You, can o- you can't kill me. You can only make me dead. Yes. Which... Sounds very profound, but I'm not really sure what it means. And I want everyone to know that you can have the fish sticks or the beef stroganoff, but they both come out of a package. <laughs> and there's no ice cream in this movie. No. Uh, we should have put that thing under things you'll find is no ice cream. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. Uh, we are talking today. This is our wild card movie. Uh, this is not on our main list. This is my my choice. Every five movies we do a wild card, and this is my choice. It's a movie called Dead and Buried, which... I am very excited to talk about because <laughs> I feel like I'm going to give this the same introduction that I gave uh, Starry Eyes to a certain extent. Interesting. Um, but before we do that, had you had you seen this before? You hadn't, right? No, I knew nothing about this one. Yeah, this one was one that I think I had seen around yeah. for years and years. I think I had seen the the videotape. It's got a great. Like the the cover image it's or poster or whatever, hell. it's really I, really great. It doesn't tell you a damn thing about the no, movie. No, but that's why it is so great because it's like, what the fuck is happening in that movie? Yeah, it's like a like a a barren desert with like a face coming out of the ground. Yeah, I it's, don't know if it's supposed to be like the rocky beach that's in no the idea. opening in the movie. No idea. Yeah. I I avoided it like not like actively avoided it, but it was never one that I rented because honestly, the poster didn't really great it was just weird it didn't really grab me yeah and uh i i actually finally learned about this movie while there's a, a joe dante director of gremlins and uh the howling and whatnot has this show that he did called trailers from hell where oh. um other filmmakers will talk about the influential horror movies and they will talk basically narrate over the trailer yeah and uh, I saw Guillermo del Toro talk about I Dead and Buried. I actually ended up watching this <clears throat> oh, yesterday. Yeah, 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 it's pretty good. Maybe instead of the actual trailer, I'll just play the audio from that. <laughs> uh, but so that was the first time I'd ever seen visuals from this movie. Yeah. And I didn't know what to expect. His He sold it pretty well. Yeah, he, se- he seemed very enthused about it. Yeah, and then it ended up on, um, I think it was either on Shudder or possibly Amazon Prime like years ago. And I sat down and I watched it and I loved it. <laughs> It was, and it's one of those, the reason I mentioned Starry Eyes is because I'm always looking for movies to fill the gaps of my horror movie likes. Yeah. 
Um, and I am always excited when I find one that I haven't seen mm-hmm. from an era that I'm fairly familiar with mm-hmm. that I've never really heard anybody talk about. Yeah. That turns out to be, for me at least, really good. Like it's, yeah. it was, it really, it's, it's, I find it rare to watch a movie, a, a horror movie now where I come away and go, that was great. I really, really like that. Yeah. And it's so fun when it's kind of a, a surprise and it feels almost like a secret that you discovered. Right. You know, like yeah. it's like no one has been talking about this. This is not the, the next new thing that's having a, a moment. It's just something yeah. that you kind of found and are like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. And I'm a little surprised that it doesn't get any much more play because it, it's, uh, I mean, I guess it's not really that notable as far as plot or whatever but it's <laughs> it's it's stan winston's first movie or one of his first movies stan winston mm-hmm. the uh special effects guy who created the terminator and predator and uh the Qu- alien queen did he do jurassic park too no, no i don't think he no. wasn't he didn't work on jurassic park uh i can't remember if he did a movie similar to that but yeah. he's he's one of the, the the big names of of movie special effects yeah and uh brings his a game in this one i think but um, yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting, it's, it's creepy. It's, it's off the beaten path. It's kind of like subject matter. That's not something you'll find every day. Yeah. And well, we'll get into it as we yeah. talk about the, I don't want to ruin everything. <laughs> uh, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll play you the, uh, well, yeah, what the hell? We'll t- play you the trailer from hell version <laughs> and, uh, we will talk about dead and buried when we come back. Hi, I am Guillermo del Toro and you're in trailers from hell. I'm about to introduce Dead and Buried in 1981, Gary Sherman. And this is one of the three movies, count them three, where I utilized a fake mustache to be able to buy the tickets because of the rating. The fake mustache was horrible. It was made out of a piece of a fake male hair chest. Uh, I don't know why they sold it in the wig, in the wig uh, store, but the, they cut me a little swab and I put it on top of my... It was like an, a fake Errol Flynn mustache. It matched my hair color somewhat, but it had a thick latex layer on the bottom. I don't think I fooled anyone, but perhaps the ticket seller thought the fat mo- the fat boy was deranged enough to attack her because he had a piece of plastic glue with some curly hair uh, over his lip. So uh, whatever, I got the tickets for this, Holocaust 2000, and the attack of the eyeless death, uh, attack of the blind terror, and, uh, you know, this movie really was a landmark for me because the mustache worked, but the movie also worked. This is the road to Potter's Bluff. I remember exactly where I was and what cinema I was when I saw this movie, and I think the trailer encapsulates exactly what I love about it, which is uh, presenting the facade of a normal town, a middle America, sort of Norman Rockwell-esque, and then uh, uh, gradually but brutally uh, tearing it away. I mean, Gary Sherman had done a fantastic movie called Raw Meat or Deathline, which... uh, marked my childhood, uh, if you can imagine what kind of childhood I had. And uh, I, I was very, very interested in seeing this movie because of him. I was probably the only guy that showed up not interested in seeing it because it was done by the same creator of Alien. You know, I, I came out for Gary Sherman. What I think Gary does is he has an incredibly perverse sense of humor, and he knows how to do very graphic stuff, very brutal stuff, with a very strange sort of artistic sense. He had a sense for finding the beautiful and the horrible, and 
The trailer shows this, which is a pivotal scene in the movie, a very famous scene uh, that is uh, sort of a riff on Polanski's The Tenant <laughs> in a very brutal fashion. And uh, he was aided in the making of this movie by Stan Winston, who does some terrific brutal effects for it. And I think the trailer shows you just enough to entice you, but I urge you in Spanish and in English to go see this movie and see the trailer, of course, again and again. Vean la película. Of it. Dead and buried. When you die in Potter's Bluff, expect the unexpected. All right, Dead and Buried from 1981. You know, I think 1981 Mm -hmm. might be kind of an underrated year for horror movies. I feel like a lot of those cusp kind of years are. It's not quite fully out of the 70s, not quite fully in the 80s. Yeah, I think there's more in there to dig into that we'll get to eventually. Because I really want to, I was, when we did Friday the 13th last year, Mm -hmm. I was kind of thinking we might do some sort of like, tangential movies related to that like okay that was one of the choices for this year for patreon was like uh slasher boom years basically the early 80s yeah and one of the ones i really want to talk about is april fool's day i don't know if you've ever seen that no no maybe we'll maybe we'll shuffle the deck a little bit for april for april (laughs) um but it's just it's it's another one from like 1981 that is kind of flies under the radar and is like that one I feel like you'll either love it or you'll hate it depending mm. on what happens at the end of it. But anyway, okay. Um, this is not on our list, it but it does have a 76 percent Rotten Tomato score, yeah. which is pretty good. Um, it is sorry I jumped over a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I was excited to talk about it. You were, uh, you were raring to go on this one. <laughs> it's directed by Gary Sherman, written. By the story by Jeff Miller and Alex Stern, the screenplay is credited to Ronald Shusett and Dan O'Bannon, who are the uh, the two that wrote Alien. Yes. However, I learned today mm. from one Joe Bob Briggs <laughs> that uh, Dan O'Bannon actually did not write this. He was hired to do to give oh. notes on it because his he was more of a name than the other guy was. Got and it. So they hired him. He did notes. They used none of the notes, but they still put his name on the movie. Oh, wow. Okay. So cuz I I had been poking around a little bit online about this movie today. Mm-hmm. And definitely saw, like, it was like, oh, you know, Dan O'Bannon's name is attached, but he disavows the whole thing. And I right. was like, wow, it feels like there's a story there. Yeah, it's not like a quality thing or anything. Yeah. It's just that yeah, they... He's just like, this isn't my movie. They pay, basically <laughs> paid him $10,000 to use his name to sell the movie. Wow. So. Um, Marketing. And it stars James Farentino, Melody Anderson, Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka, <laughs> uh, Lisa Blunt, who really reminded me of when she was in the nurse getup. Did yeah. you see... Have you seen Grindhouse... The part of Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, part of it. (laughs) Uh, Marley Shelton plays a nurse in that movie, and it looked very Uh. similar. I always wondered if there was if they were pulling from this. Uh, uh, Lisa Blunt and a young, fresh-faced future Freddy Krueger. Yes, Robert Englund. (laughs) Before all the burning and the scars. Yes, yes. Uh, He's got some scars by the end of this, though. True. Yeah, different kind though. Um, emotional scars amanda what happens in dead and buried a sheriff and his wife realize the town coroner has been creating an army of rural zombies what the fuck (laughs) i was so excited (laughs) 
wanted to read that summary to you because I knew you were going to get real mad. Well, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Sixth Sense is a story about a cop who dies at the beginning who finds out later that he himself is also dead. The boy who can see him. Yikes. Yep. Well, I hope everybody watched the movie. <laughs> I assume if people are listening to this, they either watch the movie or they do not care about spoilers. That's that's fair. Yeah. That's really frustrating. I mean, <clears throat> it's a 30-something-year-old movie that no one has seen, so. I mean. <laughs> well, few people, fewer. No one cares about it is my point. I just want to say I don't think I've ever seen you so angry. That's just annoying. <laughs> Maybe angry is not the right word. Just just like, I, you, I feel like you've given up a little bit Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm being unfair. Like, what is the other option the other option the other option as far as like uh synopsis goes i mean i guess it would be like cop investigates murders in small town small coastal town is it supposed to be maine it is supposed i thought it was rhode island but it is supposed to be maine the doctor came from rhode island i guess all right well in in case in case you want a a better Oh, no, this one also spoils it. It's a better summary, but it also spoils it. Okay. A suspense horror film set in a small coastal town where, after a series of gory murders committed by mobs of townspeople against visiting tourists, the corpses begin to come back to life. Okay, that's that's okay. Yeah, you're you're more okay with with that one. Rather than a sheriff and his wife discover the coroner is (laughs) creating rural zombies. So the first one is more of like, like, oh... I don't like that's interesting. It, I, it's more of a selling point, I guess, because mm. the second one feels a little bit more generic. Yeah. So yeah. take it or leave it, I suppose. Wow. Anyway. Well, I can tell you some other things that will spoil parts of this movie for mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. Uh, because some things you'll find in this movie include a uh, light bulb based breaking and entering. Would you? She, the mother in this, was yes. so determined that yes. there was a because there was a light on in this house. Yes. It was okay for her and her family to break into it, rummage through it and then it, the, that whole argument really had like a <laughs> It's uh, not about this. Right. Ron. Yeah, it was like another yeah. the the end of a month of arguing just something. Yeah, up. yeah, I would say maybe uh, how old's that kid? 6, 7? Probably. I'd say there. 8 to 9 years of arguing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you'll also find, uh, (laughs) casual cap and hat, uh, cape and hat ensembles. Mm -hmm. Very, very fashionable. You wore one here tonight. I did. I did. I intentionally matched my outfit to Janet. (laughs) Uh, a magic book. I always, I always give it up for the magic book. Book of magic? Magic book. Yep. It's my favorite plot device. Um, (laughs) I also love it when they open the magic book and someone has conveniently put a bookmark in and yes. also like, circled the section. I love that he finds the uh, ritual knife right next to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, you don't want to lose them. That, yeah. Keep I mean, them in one place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's her uh, occult dealings drawer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, an acid neti pot. Yeah. That would, that probably my least favorite special effect. Great concept, questionable execution. Yeah, I guess apparently the director said, told the guys who were doing that one, I don't know if, if Stan Winston did that one, hmm. that he wanted to be able to do the whole thing in a single shot. Oh. And so it was designed that way, but it was... Yeah. They didn't have the technology to make that look great. They weren't there yet. And then they ended up cutting away anyway, so... Yeah. Bummer. Uh, 
And uh, not enough parenting to really be questionable. No, I like I mentioned previously, I guess it was questionable parenting to break into that house looking for a phone. But I mean, if you're okay, but like if you're lost, because they're they're lost. Mm hmm. They think somebody just ran out in front of the car. It's dark and foggy. The kid has hit his head and is crying. Mm-hmm. I can understand being like, my child might have a head injury. That's mm-hmm. pretty dangerous. I, I saw a light on in this house. Let's go see. Like, Just kick that door in. Well, that, that's, the, that's the weird thing is like, if I ever tried to get into a house and I just opened the door and it just swung open, I'd be like, well, not here. Yeah. <laughs> Let, yeah. Let's find another well, house. That whole That whole thing just... It smelled like uh, modern upper middle class parenting to me where it's like they get the cops called on them and she's like, no, I, I saw a light on. Right. So I thought it was fine. Yeah. I mean, the light was on in the house. And so we went my in. My child needed ice yes. for his head. And there was a light on. And there was a light on. What do you people expect me to do? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. This this movie takes place in a coastal uh, New England harbor town. Yes. Which is one of my favorite settings for a horror movie. Same. I'm not sure why. I I don't know if it's like Lovecraft hangover for me, but Yeah. I don't know if it's because it's it's uh um relatable being from the Northeast and yep. having spent many years am- among such towns. Yep. But uh yeah, I I I really like that as a setting. I I do too and I, I forgive me if I've told this story on this podcast before i think if i have it's probably been a while but i have like a vague memory of when i was a kid we used to do like all of our vacations were just in the car like Mm -hmm. we didn't fly anywhere there were too many children to buy plane tickets for them put them in the van let's go Mm -hmm. uh and one one year we went up to maine and we were pretty far up north and we were driving indefinitely like only sort of knew where we were and we had to stop somewhere for like gas and the bathroom and what have you because Mm -hmm. three children in the back of a car um and my dad brought me inside the like little convenience store gas station thing like and we walked in and there were a bunch of like creepy dudes sitting at like a like a lunch counter like an old school lunch counter Mm -hmm. and they all turned and stared at us nice and they were terrifying and it was pretty much like oh we should not be here Mm -hmm. we sorry and we just kind of turned around and left because it was like nope we will use the next bathroom you will pee on the side of the road but like we are getting out of here he should have been like i'm here to catch the big catfish (laughs) yeah where do i buy the right bait there you go. Probably would have probably would have yeah, helped. They would have known him as one of their own. No, I think it has something to do with, like, in in the United States, the certain types of um, creepy town locations, which are removed from, not kind of removed from the city and, and just more isolated. Yeah. You kind of have you have uh, uh, like Appalachia. Where you get into yep. your like, uh, um, uh, what's that movie? <laughs> Deliverance. Deliverance type yeah. stuff. You've got uh, the desert. Yep. And then you've kind of got like, I, I don't really know if there's a Pacific Northwest version that's that much different than the Appalachia one. But yeah. the coastal uh, New England fishing town is yes. one that is. It's such a type. Like it's, it's, yeah. such, a, it's such a strong and obvious kind of 
trope right away where Mm -hmm. you're just like yeah okay they have those accents and they dress in that way and there's always like a dingy noise happening in the background right right and in this one i think one of the things that they really lean into is um the visuals yeah because this movie so this uh well before we get into all that stuff yeah what did you think of the movie i i enjoyed it there were parts of it i really liked like mm-hmm. there, there were there were parts of it I was like, this is really, this is really cool. There were parts of it I thought were really boring. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of feel like I should like it more, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know something about it. I think the main character kind of felt too bland yeah. for me. Like yeah. I just needed, I needed somebody. I needed something a little bit more from him, and I think I needed a, a little bit of a stronger plot. I think it was like 20 or 30 minutes into this movie, maybe even a little more, and I said to you, like, I'm so glad this movie has grown a plot. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, it it does that thing, too, where there's a lot of shuttling back and forth between the yes. same six or seven locations over and over again in, like, a rough rotation, yeah. which I'm fine with some of that, but it does, as we've talked about before, get a little... A little tiring, but the highs in this movie are pretty high. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this movie for me, I think... <clears throat> the, the it, This movie's not about the plot really in any... Well, it's weird because like it's, it's not about the plot for the most part with me, with this yeah. movie. Because I find the, the atmosphere and the subject matter so interesting and kind of unnerving. Yeah. Like I find this movie to be uh very uncomfortable and mm-hmm. grotesque in a lot of places mm-hmm. in a in a fairly unique way when it comes to uh horror movies and the subject matter they're dealing with especially from this coroner character I find yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Like I I have some sort of innate one of the things that that always freaks me out is like death and or returning from the dead. Mm. And I don't mean just like the just the generic like zombie way, like the literal climbing out of the grave way. You mean like when I die, please make sure I have one of those Victorian coffins with the bell attached in case yes. I'm not really dead so somebody can come get me. Yeah, like I've always I can I maintain to this day that the scariest zombie movie I've ever seen is Michael Jackson's Thriller. Be- mm. Just because of that one section where they all come up out of the the cemetery yeah because i think that has always affected me more because you are really understanding that these are dead bodies coming back to life and also that when you're in a cemetery there's dead bodies under your feet yeah they're everywhere yeah and so like getting into this movie when you've got this coroner character who like the first real scene with him he gives this really interesting speech about uh, the work that he does yeah. and the concept of death and how what he does is an art. It's a really fascinating kind of subject matter and, and take on stuff. And then when you follow that into the scene later on where you see like that full reconstruction of the woman's face. Yeah. It, this movie just really creeps me out in a way yeah. that is fairly unique. And the rest of the plot honestly... Yeah, not really that interesting, and we'll get into that a bit more. But like, I re- also really like the ending. Yeah, I think the ending is great. Yes. Um. But yeah, I I won't I won't deny that the capital P plot in this movie 
is pretty boring. Yeah, I, I think part of what disappointed me so much is that the premise is so great. Mm-hmm. Like like the 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 basic premise of the movie, right off the bat, like you have this out of towner mm. who thinks he's flirting with and then thinks he is going to have sex with this very beautiful woman on the beach, mm-hmm. uh, and then is attacked in broad daylight in the middle the just outside by a bunch of people, just just people. Mm-hmm. Nobody looks particularly you know, there there are no monsters, there's no, you know, horrible rotting zombies coming after him. They're just people. And they they attack him and nearly they they intend to kill him. They don't succeed at first. But they attack him in this really brutal and gruesome and intense way. Yeah. And then after he's his his body is kind of set up as, oh, it must have been a car crash. And we get into the cop plot, the main character, Dan. He goes to the diner and like half the people from the mob are just in the diner. They're just right. people who live there. Yeah. And it's such a creepy like right away. You're like, what is going on here? Yeah. Because these seem like very normal people and they're all in on it and you don't know why they're doing what they're doing. I argue by the end of the movie, you still don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Well, <laughs> I mean, because it seems like Dobbs is commanding them a little bit. Still, I don't. I'm not totally yeah, sure why any of this is happening. Yeah, I don't fully get why it but, needs to be on film. But yeah. but it's just, it's so promising. And then there's so much of of Dan just kind of wandering around, giving people a confused face. Like yeah. heavy brows, yeah. unhappy face. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Don't like that. And everybody keeps going, ask your wife. And it's like, I don't know. I, w- I wish they had played with the sort of, the the idea that like, you know, everyone knows and you know mm-hmm. that some of the people in this town are murdering, m- murdering tourists, visitors, whatever. Yeah. And some of them are not. But I don't think this movie does a good enough job of like playing kind of yeah. playing with that and sort of having moments of of like you knowing that he's with somebody who's really dangerous and right. him not realizing it. It's just like the movie plays all the scenes the same when he's just like going yeah. around the town and I wish they had there had been a little more something a little more ominous, maybe something a little more in their behavior that could tip you off. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I've never <clears throat> excuse me that has always confused me is like I wonder if if this is sort of like a narrative cone problem my you know yeah trademark <laughs> narrative cone of vision god because i really i, I really want to i wish i was talented and i could make like a t-shirt that just had <laughs> i'm piecing all these things a, together and the word narrative but in a cone shape yeah i'm piecing all of these things i come up with that probably other people have explained better than me <laughs> i'm just gonna write a book one day that'll be probably very short um <laughs> but like i i found myself wondering if there's two like if if you inherently have a problem with the way that you've set the story up because you've got this idea that like you said there's townspeople who are killing people yeah. for unknown reasons but you never get a sense whether or not everybody is in on it yeah like i know some people are not there's a couple like minor scenes that are very sort of throwaway that again mm-hmm. i wish they had kind of emphasized a little more like um the guy who runs the hotel right 
he comes back to the to the sheriff and says, I saw that man, mm-hmm. that man who died. Yeah. Like, I saw him pumping gas at the gas station. I know it's him. Yeah. So, oh, like, that's true. Good point. Yeah. Obviously, he's not in on it. And, and obviously, the doctor is at first not in on it because yeah. he hasn't had his acid neti pot yet. Um, but then he is. Mm-hmm. And you don't. I don't know. I I don't know if I want there to be more of a change mm. when when this happens to you, or just something that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly yeah. what I'm asking for, but I do feel yeah. like it's not maybe made explicit enough. And like I I know he's his his wife's behavior, Janet Janet's mm-hmm. behavior is supposed to be kind of a tip off mm-hmm. that things are teaching go- voodoo to the school. I mean, which I mean. That would be. Are you not supposed honestly, to? Honestly, if because... I was a teacher, that would be a that would be a flex that I would do. Where they're like, if if it was I was working in a school district, yeah. and they were like, you need to start teaching religion in school again. I'm like, no problem, buddy. No <laughs> the problem. Church of Satan is here for you. Yes. Uh, I do want to say that that scene when he finds the the witchcraft and and voodooism book in the in the drawer. Man, I feel like that was ripped right out of my own life. Yeah. Except instead of Greg being mad that it's in the house at all, he's just like, really, another one? Yep. We're running out of space. Yeah, but like, you know, I wonder if... I feel like, unfortunately, as good and as fun as I think the ending is... Yeah. I think it does bring up a lot of questions when you kind of like look back on it. And yeah. as I was I was watching through Joe Bob's coverage of it, and he does say like, the minute you start thinking about this plot, it just opens up a billion plot holes. Yeah. And it's it's it it's true because like the main the main question that I that I come away with is why they never really tell you why the the coroner's doing any of this stuff except for the fact that he says like at one point Dan says why are you doing this yeah and the coroner says well once I I wrote it down what the hell is it (laughs) because it's fun. After people die, they don't get sick, they don't age, they're so beautiful, I can't stand to bury them. Okay, sure, but I don't understand why now they are actively killing other people. Is that that something he's having them do on purpose? Yeah, so he can can do his artwork, I guess. He loves his work so much. And then, like, the other thing that I, my other question is, if Dan is also a zombie and doesn't know it, why would you make him not know it? So that's, I think, the central problem with the movie is that I don't, like, the ending is great and it's really fun, Mm -hmm. but if we're going to start looking at it and actually, like, trying to think about it logically. We probably shouldn't. We probably shouldn't, (laughs) but what else are we going to talk about for the next, like, 40 minutes? Right, right. Um, It kind of, yeah, it, it throws in too many questions of, like, okay, so... These people are killing others because they are zombies brought back to life by Dobbs. Mm-hmm. He is supposedly controlling them. I My favorite part of this movie, and this is like straight out of, you know, you don't need some things you need to explain, some things you don't. Yeah. Is when Dobbs is like. Some might call it black magic. Some might call it a medical breakthrough. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm all for that. Yeah. I actually don't give a shit about how he's bringing them back. Yeah. We've got a, a magic book, a right. magic yeah. knife, and some hearts wrapped up in sweaters in yeah. empty coffins. Doesn't, any more explanation would just make you start rolling your eyes and exactly. really start thinking about stuff. Exactly. So so that, that's, that part's fine, but it's then like, so the zombies have different levels of 
autonomy or memories or personality because he he can clearly he can clearly like program them right but they're still when when people are walking around in town they're not acting any different like they're they're still like responding naturally to conversation they're still going about their daily lives so they have to have some level of independent intelligence he can't like I guess unless he's like, you know, you'll be your normal self until it's nighttime and then you'll go kill a stranger. Yeah. Um, but he talks on and on about how Janet is his masterpiece. Right. The rest of them are like sketches or whatever, but she is a painting. I don't know. That beach girl was pretty good painting. <laughs> when she's in her nurse's outfit. Sure. <laughs> um, but, but Janet kind of seems to be like the first one who sort of mentally falls apart. Yeah, well, that's very, that's brought on very suddenly by her getting shot four times at the end. Yes. And so I, and I, I find it like that part doesn't bother me. Um, And. But Dan not knowing. Yeah. Dan not knowing is, is just a weird choice because I'm not really sure. Like, unless that's further part of his plan to be able to bring people back who because i don't even realize that they've died but yeah. I, I guess i would have liked something to tip us off then about it yeah you know where even if it was like betty <laughs> the the receptionist oh, at, the, sure, at, the, sure. at the police office being like you know sheriff you're acting really weird lately like i haven't seen you in three days and him being like wait what are you talking about yeah know yeah it's it's just it's such a strange it's uh uh on on the last drive-in uh darcy the male girl refer uh described this as such a derogatory title for her (laughs) she embraces it though she's great uh she she called it an italian horror movie made by americans and i a hundred percent agree with that i like that because it does have that same feeling of of it makes more sense than most Italian horror movies, but yeah. even so, there's like there's a loose kind of plot stringing things along. I was gonna. I feel like when we when we did, oh god, is it Deep Red? Is that what that movie's yes, called? Yeah. I feel like when we did that one, we kind of had that conversation where we were like, "Is it just like like poor plotting and all atmosphere, and we're more okay with it because it's a foreign film, right? Like right. it can get away with sort of like." It lets us attribute something to like, oh, lost in translation. We we right. are just not getting the full context because it's yeah from a different culture. It's from a different time. And yeah, this movie kind of has the same vibe, except it is made by Americans. It also like there's a lot of heavy ADR. Like you can tell that it's yeah. not on set recorded dialogue, which also makes it feel kind of like a, like a foreign movie. Yeah, I did wonder when we were first watching it through i like i knew it was an american movie but i was like maybe some of these actors weren't i not the as far as i know it was all the main ones seem like yeah but yeah it it has this that's why i kind of like i i struggle as to whether or not any of the plot stuff really matters because yeah i think the rest of it is so strong like the i have i don't really know why they're taking pictures of people like yeah. at the moment of death and stuff and why everybody's got cameras. It's scary as hell. Yeah. It's really creepy and really yeah. inventive. It's, it's and how even, Instagram started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
And even that end sequence when he goes to Cobb's place and he's got like five or six movie projectors just showing oh, all of this film. Yeah, yeah. It's really creepy and really cool. Yeah. I don't really know why he's doing that, but it, it works. I guess you know? to preserve, to, to be able to show I, I think, this is honestly, how they started, this is how bad it got, and then this is how beautiful I made them look again. I have a feeling that the, the, the camera and film bit is a backwards, working backwards from, okay, the cop's going to be a zombie. How do we uh, do, how do we show that he's a zombie? Oh, maybe he sees a f- piece of film of the moment that he's killed. Yeah. And so they work that in to make it not feel like someone just happened to be there. Maybe, um, maybe. I don't know about that, though, because the cameras and the equipment are so integral to, like, yeah. the movie from the very beginning. Like, I kind of, I rewatched it, or at least most of it today, and the beginning of this movie starts like a still photograph mm. and then starts moving. Yeah. And so it's so... It's clearly like a big preoccupation for the people who made it mm. of this idea of like capturing things on on film in some way. Yeah. I don't know if maybe we're trying to go back into the sort of superstition of like cameras and, and film are bad because they capture a piece of your soul. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's funny because it's like it's one of those movies where I, I almost kind of think it might even be better if it made less sense because like That's the, an interesting the plot, point. So this movie is Yeah, where it can become almost like a visual Yeah. just collage. Like of... go even further down mm-hmm. the Italian horror route where like I don't know how many Lucio Fulci movies you've ever seen. Not many unfortunately. Well, we'll have to change that at yeah. some point. Um they don't make a lick of sense <laughs> for the most part. But they are so visually interesting and yeah. auditory like the music's always great. That it is really just sort of like an experience. Mm-hmm. And the minute you start going like, wait a minute. If that book can bring back the soul of a dead witch into the body <laughs> of a young child who's now killing older... You know, you just start... That movie know. sounds great. I, yeah, I, I don't... I think I made that one up. I don't think that's a real <laughs> Let's one. Let's do it. Um, Make my life story. But, you know, it's like the... You, they kind of like... You can kind of shut the story part off a little bit and just kind of experience them as what they are yeah and this one is a little bit hamstrung by the cop plot because yes and i this i've said this before i do not like cop and inspector and detective plots in my horror movies because they are almost always bad because It's basically just, this is a really strange one, though, because usually those plots are there for the purpose of exposition, moving the story along, Mm -hmm. and wasting time between big events. But that's kind of what this plot feels like, too. I don't think it does any of those things. Well, wasting time between big events. Okay, maybe wasting time. But like, I don't think you get too much... The exposition you get out of this is basically just the information about the doctor, and that's towards the end. Um, yeah, and then he went to college. Yeah, and it's like it's just like th- it feels like even that stuff is kind of like trimmed down to the most minimal elements of that. Yeah, because there's one part I can't remember exactly what part it is where uh, the the cop is talking to someone else, and based on absolutely no evidence that he has, we have seen him gather himself. Yeah, he's like. I think that body got up and walked away. It's like, what? Oh, yeah. 
Where, how did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, yeah. He's like, I think the dead are coming back. It's like, what? what yeah. What? Why? Why do you think that? Yeah. You any other hypotheses first with evidence? And it's like yeah. it, it, the cop. The cop plot in these movies are always just one guy, quote unquote, trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, and the tough thing is when you when you make the cop the central character and you mm-hmm. make that part of the plot kind of the main part of the plot, mm-hmm. it is inviting the audience to try to put things together. Yeah. So then if you don't have a strong plot, like if you don't have a lot of logical steps between what's happening, then you, you've sort of invited your viewer to be asking those questions, but you, there are no answers which then leaves right. you feeling unsatisfied. It makes the plot itself kind of meandering because it involves the cop just kind of being like, well, I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's this wild guess. Right. And then nothing really feels like you've been invited to put this together like it's a puzzle, but you're not supposed to be putting it together like it's mm-hmm. a puzzle. You're supposed to be just sort of sitting and basking in the atmosphere. And the thing the thing that makes these cop plots not work for me. Cop plots. Cop plots. <laughs> is generally they come without a point of view for that character. And what I mean by that is mm. their story is I need to get to, I need to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And that's usually where it ends. The one time yeah. maybe they've done it more than once, but obviously the, this is actually a really good movie to compare this to because they are very similar in certain respects. The one time that they did this and it worked really well is in The Wicker Man. Yeah. Because the cop, while he is trying to, quote unquote, figure out what's going on, yeah. he has a very specific character and point of view that runs contrary to everybody else in the movie. Yes. And so he's not just there picking up clues. He's actually engaging with everything else that's going on and with the people who are there. Yeah. So him trying to do things in a more Christian and mainland England manner Mm -hmm. is a source of conflict and character in your story. Right. Whereas in this one, Dan's just trying to figure out what's going on. And if the only thing you can say about your character is he's trying to figure out what's going on, you got to take that back to the drawing board and figure out, figure out better. Right. Because the, the thing that makes some cop plots work for me is the idea that they are an outsider to the community right, right. coming in and they do have that difference of ethics or difference of perspective or just different motivations than right. everyone around them. Mm-hmm. And because they're an outsider, there is that automatic tension of like, I'm trying to get something from you that you don't want to give to me. And we are coming at this problem from opposite viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And so there's tension, there's conflict when it's like, he's just the small town Sheriff, and this has all been going on right under his nose. Yeah. It's that's kind what makes of it like, yeah. okay, so you just have been oblivious this whole time. Yeah, that's what makes it really tough, is because it's like, <laughs> based on, uh, you know, again, I think there's so much you can do in this space that they just yeah. don't do. And I don't know if that's because this movie got brutally chopped to pieces, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Mm. But like, another question I have is like, okay, if this guy is the sheriff of this town, and let's just say, for argument's sake, before he died, he was also the sheriff of the town. Yeah, right? yeah. All of these other people in the town are dead. 
Right. And he's like, no one's been murdered here, and we've had two murders here in the past seven days. This never happens here. Everybody else in the town is dead. Right. Young people are dead. And you Your can't, wife is dead. You can't say that. Like, maybe after a point, there were enough zombies to help Dobbs, like, cover up when some when he killed somebody and mm-hmm. give him the time and the space to bring them back mm-hmm. before anyone really noticed. But not only would it take time to build up to that point, but then it's like, yeah, some people are going to have been gone missing. And then there's new people who just, this is a pretty small town. Yeah. And yeah. then Freddie the gas man just appears one day and everybody acts like, oh yeah, you know, Freddie, he's always been here. Yeah. And it's like, how does he not notice that? There's right. <laughs> there's one gas station in this town. Right. And all of a sudden a different guy runs it. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, hi, who are you? Where did you come from? And the lady who runs the diner, she's dead. When did she yeah. die? How did she die? Is she new to town? I don't know. Nobody seems to know. Robert Englund? How did he die? And, I don't know. And nobody in the, the guy, The families? kid who works at the coroner's office, he's dead. Yeah, and like n- none of them have families who've been like, hey, where did you go for four days? Right, right. Or like, hey, you've been acting really weird. Hey, honey, when we go to bed at night, you're really cold. Yes. And you don't move. Yes. Like... <laughs> Joe Bob did mention that he's like I don't know if they're not having sex with each other but you would think you'd notice something was Seriously. wrong <laughs> so that it's like all right so then are you just wiping out whole families and bringing them back yeah I don't know yeah I mean yeah. and that's again it's one of those things where it's like yeah I mean if you start doing this you could do this all day with this movie but but I think the cop plot kind of is is part of the problem is it that is. it asks it you to do this kind of stuff yeah I it, think there's a lot I think there's a lot you could do with that plot. Yeah. But it doesn't do anything. Yeah. Like there's no there's no implication of like, oh, maybe he wasn't always the sheriff. Like you know, they don't do that thing where he where the corn is like, What happened? Tell me about your third birthday and he's like, I can't remember past last week. You know, like yeah. that kind of thing, you know? Or Yeah, it's like do you remember coming back? to your hometown from college and right. becoming the sheriff what made you decide to do that and being like i don't know i don't right. remember ever living somewhere else right yeah and i mean you know i guess they just don't have the time for that in this yeah. but i do think that stuff would be really beneficial if they because having this i think you could have this play out where you have this character who is the sheriff of this small town mm-hmm. who finds this stuff out and have it work I think you could also potentially like say something with it too. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you want to say is up to you. Yeah, but, but there's um, there's several avenues you could use. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is just such a. It works as an ending, but when you stretch it out into the body of the movie, it is definitely the the biggest weak spot in the film. I think. Yeah, I was kind of wishing the whole time that the main character was like. The assistant who works at the at the uh, the store in town who develops the film or something, right? And who's like, wait, we've been getting a lot more uh, film canisters lately. What's going on? Everybody's like amateur filmmakers now. Wait, what the hell is this? I'm surprised that they didn't do something like when it turns out that he's he finds out that he is also a zombie or whatever. Yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't do something like he's Cobb's son or something. You know, yeah. because it is it is just no, he also is dead. But it's my question, like I said before, is like, why this guy? Why doesn't he remember? Why did they choose? Why did he choose this person to not remember that he's dead or whatever? 
And I think there's story you could build in there where it's like, yeah, Cobb's son died and he didn't yeah. want to let go of him. So he rebuilt him and now he's, you know, that kind of stuff or something like that. Yeah. Or even, a, you know, you reminded me of a younger version of myself. Sure. You're so passionate about your work. And I always enjoyed our conversations. I didn't want to lose that. So I tried to keep you in the dark about your new condition so that we could continue to have this sort of one-sided cat and mouse thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think there's there's a lot there's a lot in there to play with. Um But yeah, there's a lot more interesting and and there's a lot, there are a lot of things that are more interesting and positive to say about this movie in terms of like the visuals and the atmosphere and the effects. Right. One of those things is the as you said the effects, which I mm-hmm. said are uh, early Stan Winston. Um I think the effects are awesome. Yeah. The that as you mentioned before, that first kill on the beach is I think I think that's one of the things that draws me into this so much is there's a certain uh uh comfortableness and familiarity comfortableness is a weird word to use and familiarity i think people can get watching these movies with the violence in them yeah so like let's say you're watching a friday the 13th movie Mm -hmm. there's a certain you know that the violence is only going to look a certain way right yeah if this is kind of hard to describe but like you know, okay, someone's going to get cut across the neck yeah. and it's going to look a certain way. It's a level of it being predictable. Yeah, not like visually predictable, yeah. not like the actual, oh, sh- that person's going to get killed this way. Just right, like a visual right. um, uh, shorthand where it's like, all right, I know because this is how these things work, they're not going to probably, their, half of their face isn't going to come off or something. Right, or it, it'll it'll be obscured in some way when they yeah, and it's still it's still a movie. So to a certain extent, the people who are getting killed or whatever are still looking good to a certain extent. Yes, I don't know if this is making sense, but basically my point is the <laughs> the the effects and the violence in this is very disturbing to me because it is it works outside of those expected. Uh, methods and visuals of of killing yeah like honestly that first the guy on the beach who gets killed the way that he's tied up in that net yes was really freaking me out yeah his his nose is all smushed up yeah his lip is kind of like up and weird yeah and and he's been beaten pretty badly so it's obvious he's like because somebody i think they break his legs or something yeah i think so like it's obvious he can't hold up his own body weight and the net is kind of the only thing propping him up yeah so his face is like really smashed into it it makes him look like almost inhuman right away yeah and there's a certain i think um uh innate thing in in humans where the 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 scarring or destruction of the human face Mm. i think bothers can bother you more than some other things because it is the thing you're constantly looking at yeah so when that gets all messed up then you're you know it's kind of tough to deal with and and like that kind of continues through the movie up through the sequence where she puts the needle in the dude's eye yeah which is there's as you said there's something really uncanny valley about that and the reason that is is because that entire body was an animatronic puppet when you told me that i was genuinely surprised by it because i could tell like it didn't look quite right like uh, uncanny valley is the phrase i had used and i stand by it because it didn't look quite right but Mm -hmm. i didn't believe the whole thing was a puppet yeah i thought it was you were it was going to be like oh well like the body is his, but he's wearing a 
a mask or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. or the face underneath is like around the eye at first is really him or the mouth. Like I thought some part was, was actually a person. So that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, the fact that it is an animatronic makes that sort of jerky movement where he's like his eyes going around and he's trying yeah. to feels very unnerving because it's, it is, you're watching a quote unquote person moving yeah. in a way but there's something off about it. And I think the bandages covering him yeah. do a lot of the work and, and in covering him, covering it mm-hmm. um, because he has been horribly burned. He's, he's been horribly, horribly burned and disfigured. So the fact that his eye, all you see is one eye and then like his open mouth and it's just teeth. Like he doesn't have any lips. Yeah. Um, that feels believable because he's, you know, he's been immolated essentially. So you're like, yeah, of course around his eye looks weird. And of course, like his teeth are just kind of out. He's, he's been in this, like it's been horribly assaulted in this way. I did. I did find that scene when the, when the cop is talking to the doctor kind of funny though, because he's he's like, I need, can I just talk to this guy for a minute? And the doctor's like, "Ah, he's going to be kind of hard to understand because he doesn't have any lips. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of this is like slightly off topic but um did you watch the hbo chernobyl no i have not watched that yet very dark very very good apparently they're working on the sequel right now in real time so that's <laughs> yeah, seriously um but there's a scene where one of the main characters goes to one of the hospitals that's caring for oh, uh guys who've been, who were in the reactor in the building when it when it melted down and there's one guy and you know you know how bad he must be and you can hear him trying to talk and he, mm. you, you can mostly understand him, but it's, it's painful. They never show him. They just show the main character's reaction to seeing him. Yeah. And it's really well done because it's not showing you everything. Right. And I think that's, that's something in this movie that they kind of play with that. Like, Oh, to- totally. Yeah. Yeah. You get like the scene. Um, there's the, the, the hitchhiker, Mm-hmm. And she gets her face bashed in by a rock. And then the um, Dobbs does the full reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty graphic. Like, it, it yeah. looks fairly realistic, at least to my eyes, when you first see her and half of her face is caved in and the other half is not. And then when he's doing this deconstruction, though, she's completely covered up to her shoulders. Right. You know, so you only see... You only see the part they really want you to focus on, and then mm. the rest is kind of obscured, but you know it's also like not a good scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that that scene also as well is like it's just I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, it's and it's, it's really wild. Yeah. I wonder how accurate it is to life. I was think I'm really curious to know yeah, that. Like, like if, is, if somebody comes in with like really severe traumatic wounds to their body. Is there is that type of full reconstruction possible? I have no idea. And like I, it, it that was it. That's one of the other things about this that is that that kind of makes <laughs> it so unnerving to me. Is like yeah. there's stuff going on with this court. Obviously, so he's a coroner bringing people back from the dead. I know they don't actually do that unless they do. I'm not hey, used to say we don't know. But like I was asking that question where I because it's it's a segment of life that I have a segment of death segment of death. <laughs> Uh, that I have no experience with, have never yeah. really asked any questions about, and I'm watching this going like, is this what they really do? This is really creepy and scary and weird. 
Yeah, I mean, even because even if you're thinking like probably for the average person, they don't go that far. But right. you know that there's stuff they do to a body after someone has died that we don't know about. Yeah. You know, like there, there's there's a whole procedure that happens that we are totally ignorant of. And right. it's it's really weird to think about. And there's so much of that stuff that like is is just casually mentioned in life. Yeah. That you don't really stop to think about what it entails. Like anytime somebody dies under mysterious circumstances and like, oh, they did an autopsy. It's like, yeah, of yeah. course they did an autopsy. Do you know what that consists of? <laughs> right. We watched the autopsy of Jane Doe. Yeah. It's like, it's f- like they're cutting everything open. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, I, your mileage may vary on how much that kind of creeps you out. But I have always been kind of squeamish and unnerved by that. <laughs> Um, not well, yeah, like not like ethically or anything, but just no, like the no. idea of it is, I think because it is such a, I don't know if taboo is the right word, but I'll use the word occult in the mm. in the literal meaning of the word occult, which yeah. is obscured. Yeah, it's it's a very obscured um, segment of society that is pretty intense to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah, well, I mean, people don't want to think about it. They right. don't want to think about it for their own sakes, and they don't want to think about it because most people have probably lost a loved one at some point in their lives, and if that person opted for burial rather than cremation, like, you don't want to think about that person going through that stuff, even though you know they are gone. It's yeah. still disturbing to think about, you know, these these processes being done to their body without their awareness or consent. Yeah, yeah. It's intense. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that is one of the things that makes this movie, despite its weaknesses, a compelling watch at times. Mm. Because it does, like, it brings a lot of this sort of stuff to the forefront of your mind without even having to be super explicit about it. Like, we're asking questions like, all right, they're dead and then they are brought back. Are they still themselves? Are they totally right. different people? Like... Like, like it, it, it asks a lot of questions in those sorts of veins without actually having to sit down and ask them. Right. You know? Yeah. No, um, nobody's saying to each other, like, but are they alive or are they dead? Right. They must be yeah. in a living death. I'm really know? happy that they don't have those conversations. Yeah. That would really kill the mood of this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, the part of the mood of the movie is every every single space in this movie seems to be filled with fog yes indoor outdoor daytime nighttime <laughs> there's just like a, a a layer of fog diffusing everything yeah it's a very darkly shot movie yeah yeah it's very hazy it's very yeah. darkly shot in a way that it's like not poorly lit but it is dark in a way where the whole movie feels like you've just walked into a dimly lit bar because yeah. you can never, I, I kind of feel like you can never really get a great look at anybody in this movie. There's always, it's yeah. kind of dark, it's hazy, they're always kind of obscured by like hats and stuff. Yep. Even during the daytime. It's capes like and hats. Capes and hats. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a really unique looking movie that again, feel it has this sort of unnerving quality, creepy quality to it that I don't feel yeah. like you see in many, many movies. This might be a little too on the nose, but one of the things I, I kept thinking about it was that everything's a little sepia toned. Okay. You know, like everything's a little hazy and sort of like, like desaturated color wise. Desaturated. Yes. 
you know, maybe not sepia is maybe not the right word, but like it has that old faded photograph feeling yes, is kind of what I'm going for. Yes. Yeah. Um, which I thought was, was again, that might just be me projecting, but no, definitely. Yeah. I would be curious to see like if someone made a movie like this now, whether or not people got very upset because it was like hard to see or something. Cause I, mm. I think it's part of the, for lack of a better word, charm of the movie. Yeah. Is that it does create this visual um, atmosphere that feels fairly unique. Yeah. It's sort of like um, in, in, in the US, especially at least around us, you don't Jeez, really. Don't get, po- don't get political. Come on. <laughs> I was just going to say that people don't, aren't allowed to smoke. Sure. Uh, indoors yeah. in like restaurants and bars anymore. Um, but in plenty of other places in the world, they really are. Mm. And it's that feeling of, you know, tons of people have been in here sort of smoking, not just tonight, not just last night, but for many nights. Right. And the windows stay closed and the door only opens when someone comes in or out. And mm. you walk into a place like that and it just has this like permanent haze. I think about that sometimes, how smoking used to be so pervasive. Yeah. And all I can think about is every single interior space must have smelled like a bowling alley. Yeah. But they probably didn't notice it because it was Maybe a little bit less smelling. like feet. But yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. It's just like... Ugh. I mean, if you ever walk in, you walk hey, man, into a hotel room. I, I, yeah. Where they still allow you to smoke, and it's just like, ugh. I mean, my dad smoked until I was like eleven. Yeah. And it it didn't bother me until after he quit. Right. And then I could smell it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably a big part of it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I may, I may have told this story somewhere before. I don't remember. We were in uh, uh, Austin. Texas mm-hmm. doing this uh really fun walking tour mm. that was you were wa- it was a walking tour through Austin that was telling the story of America's like first serial killer who I guess oh, would operate in Austin. Cool. And so you've got a it's a GPS app guided thing through your phone, right? That's awesome. And so you're listening to this story and it's can tell where you are based on your GPS positioning. And there's a section where it's like, all right, now cross the street. Walk down those stairs, down to where the river's running through. It's like you walk down, and it's you, we walk down, and it's like, oh my god, it just smelled like raw sewage. Well, and then the thing, the voice comes on the headphones. It goes, "Take a big whiff. You smell that? That's what the entire street smelled like in the 1800s." And it's like, oh. So they brought you down there specifically for the smell. Yeah, specifically so <laughs> nice. you knew what the 1800s smelled like, yes. which apparently was fresh shit. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, um, yeah, but but there is that sort of haze over everything in this movie yeah. that is is well used. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um. What? So the ending. We talked yes. a, bit, a, a bit about the ending in general, about the twist that he is everybody's dead. He's also dead. I would like to talk specifically about the sequence with his wife because yeah. that's my favorite part of the ending. Yeah. Not the other stuff because mm. it's so creepy. Because she shows up and she's kind of like acting like a bit of like a Stepford wife to him. Yes. Like, oh, well, what she, do you want for dinner? Well, she's repeating a conversation they had earlier in the movie. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even pick yeah, that that's up. why I keep joking about you can have fish sticks or ah, beef stroganoff. Because she correct. says it at least twice, if not three times in the movie. And Dan is freaking out. So he shoots her like three or four times. And yeah. the first couple times she doesn't really react. And then she kind of has a minute where after like the fourth shot, it like it dawns on her that she's dead. Yeah, like, she's like, like the crying. Veil, the veil comes down and she she's goes, I'm dead. You need to bury me. 
Yeah. And has like a breakdown and runs away. Yeah. And he goes off after her. She's run into the cemetery, has carved her own name into one of the gravestones, the gravestone of the guy from the beginning who they they had to uh, disinter. Disinter, is that the right word? Exhume. Exhume. Disinter works too. Uh, who had, they had to exhume, so there's an empty grave. She's carved her own name into his gravestone. So yes. it says, here lies Janet now. Yeah. <laughs> and she, Instead of like George Lemoyne, Lemoyne yeah. itinerant. Yes. <laughs> um, and she is now in the bottom of this grave, yeah. dragging dirt over herself. When Dan comes over and he's and she's like, you need to bury me. I'm dead. Please bury me. And yeah. I'm like, this is so fucking disturbing. To me. Yeah. She's literally begging. To be buried. Yeah. Like she she's literally begging him to let it end, to help her end it. And then all of the other townspeople show up and they have this like weird dead people funeral, kinda. Yeah, they bring her like flowers. Like they're all like prepared for it, which right. is kind yes. of weird. Yeah. They all show up with like bouquets and, and, and like gifts and shit to put on the new grave and mm-hmm. just be like, Well, yep, she was great. We're real sorry, Dan. Bye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But they all, but it's not really by like they all kind of try to surround him, but it doesn't even feel violent, right? And I think in the moment you're maybe supposed to think it's it it's it's going to get violent, but like they don't need to get violent with him; he's already one of them, right? Right. So it's almost like like in a weird way, their community coming together yeah. in this really bizarre way. Yeah, and it's just it's another one of those things where it's like yeah. this. When she pulls the, the gets the dirt over her face, her face is yeah. like the last thing to be covered. It's it's a it's kind of a, a an approach to this kind of thing that I've I've never really seen before that creeps yeah. me out and like a like it's it's not so much just like jump scary as much as like internally creepy and scary yeah, to me. Yeah, there's like an existential aspect to it because then you're asking like, okay, she's dead, but she's self aware, right? So is yeah. she just gonna lie there and feel herself rot? Right. over time like yeah. what happens to her now or does she, does she just shut off after a bit like it, it reminds me a bit of um uh, is it tales from the crypt i think it's i think it's vault of horror so in the 60s uh, 70s 70s sure <laughs> Why not? uh the british film company called amicus did mm. two movies based on uh the ec comics tales from the crypt and vault of horror yeah and they were both anthology movies with multiple stories one of the stories was a basically like a monkey's paw situation sure and the uh basically the punchline at the end of it is one of the the there's a husband and wife the the husband ends up dying or something yeah and the wife says i just really wish he was back i wish he was alive Mm. and there's this really cool creepy ass sequence where this if I'm, I hope I'm remembering this correctly, where the uh, the hearse rolls up to the front of their house and these really creepy, like, ghoulish-looking pallbearers yeah. silently bring his <gasps> casket into the house. Oh. And then all of a sudden he just starts screaming from <gasps> the inside of the thing. Wow. Because he's alive and he's filled with embalming fluid. Oh my god! <laughs> so monkey's paw. You yeah. didn't say how you wanted him alive. Right, right. But it's it kind of reminds me. And there's another movie, uh, actually, by Bob Clark, director of mm. Black Christmas. Oh, called Death Dream. Oh, which is a very cool low budget horror movie 
that is sort of an expansion of this same monkey's paw story where it's about yeah. a, um, a mother who prays for the return of her son from Vietnam, but her son has been killed in Vietnam. Uh. So he comes home, but he is uh, basically a zombie. Yeah. And it ends in a similar way to this where he is like falling apart because he's rot. He's a rotting corpse who's yeah. walking around and he ends up like trying to bury himself. It's Jesus. it's really, it's a really arresting image yeah. of, of a reanimated corpse who knows that they're dead, who is trying to bury themselves again. Yeah. Well, it's like you can't exist. You can't continue to exist physically in this way, but your brain also can't. Your mind can't handle the horror yeah. of knowing. You've recognized that you yourself are an abomination. Right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. This. Uh, so this actually was a video nasty briefly. Yeah. Between uh, 1983 and 1985, this was on the English video nasties <laughs> list until I guess somebody was like, eh, it's not really that bad. That seems to be how most of them got off. Yeah. Uh, it, was fi- it was originally financed by Guinness, the beer company. Wait, what? Yeah, it was it was financed by Guinness, but then Guinness sold the rights to it, and then it sold it again, and then it was uh, the fourth company that had the rights to it. Recut it quite a bit, so the original director's cut does not exist. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, and the final version is basically a hybrid of what four different companies thought it should look like. Ooh. Which kind of makes sense given how kind of weird and choppy it is. Yeah. And it's really, it's unfortunate that we can't see. It's one of those weird things though where it's like, would it help it really? <laughs> right. Or would it maybe just feel more mundane? Yeah. Or... I guess there's a lot of, I, there was a lot of, of like gore stuff cut out. So yeah. maybe that would go a certain distance, but like, yeah. I don't know if more Dan is going <laughs> to make the movie any better. <laughs> Yeah, and even with the gore stuff, like, I don't think this movie needs much more gore. Right. Like, it's got some pretty good, if if, if that's what you're looking for, this has got a couple good moments. Not for, a lot of that. blood. Right. But it's... If you want to see a woman jab a very big needle into somebody's eye. Who doesn't? <laughs> also why it feels Italian. They like to do that. Yes. The Italian yeah, the needle, The needles. Ugh. But yeah, I, I don't know if this, this would even benefit from extra gore yeah so yeah i it's it is one of those so my last question uh kind of runs into that same idea which is like i was thinking this movie feels like it would be kind of ripe for a remake i was thinking that the whole time we were watching it however yeah i do worry or wonder if this is one of those movies where it's like if you try to make more sense of it, yeah, you're just gonna lose some of that charm. Like I, I, mm. I can see doing this again and telling a story that quote unquote makes sense. But like, is that really going to improve this? Because I, yeah, I, I think what I respond to more than anything is the sort of like dreamlike, abstract kind of nature of this. Yeah. And I wonder if trying to really kind of like, all right, let's really pin down what's going on with Dan is going to help the movie, you know, or help a new version of it anyway. Yeah. And I, I, I think I agree. I think if they, if there was ever a remake of this, I wouldn't necessarily want it to be more plotty. Sure. Like, I, I think I would like it to be a little clearer where mm-hmm. it is going to be plot driven. Yeah, like, like, like put it, yeah. kind of clarify things, maybe simplify things a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yes. Just make it. A little bit more like when when this is a scene where we're going to be 
being a sheriff will will just be a sheriff. Um, But I do think like it, it would be interesting to see a modern take on this in terms of like some of the themes of like the, the sort of like photography and, and the taking videos and like capturing images, I think could be really interesting. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think it would be interesting to see an update of this. Yeah. It, I would, I would actually want it to stay fairly true to what it is now. Yeah. But I think even like having a more modern dynamic between Dan and Janet. Sure. You know, right. like, like yeah. making her a little bit more, of a character and less of a Stepford wife who also teaches voodoo to her class. Yeah. She's such a weird character. Cause like she seems like she's supposed to have personality. Right. And she doesn't like, she only becomes kind of Stepford wifey at the end when she comes in, shows up at the, the yeah. coroner's place before that she's living her own life. She, they're kind of implying that she might be having, well, the, the implication that the inference that Dan is taking is that she might yes. be having an affair or something. With uh, yeah. the camera guy from the beginning. Yes. Um, clearly, that's not the case. I, there's, again, even there, though, there's like the, vid- the f- video, the mm. film that Dan sees of his wife sleeping with someone. Yeah. He takes to mean, oh, she's cheating on me. Yeah, it's weird that he doesn't recognize himself. Well, he doesn't see himself. Yeah. He only sees the back of his head until he I recognize that it stabbed. was him. Oh, you, like, did you really? Right oh, away. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> But like even that video, even that film, what is that house? It's like some. Is ab- it the house? Is it that the they same house? Chase the family into the abandoned house. Like why is his? <laughs> well, that is that is actually one thing I meant to say just briefly when we were talking earlier about like the visuals and the aesthetics. Is one of the things I enjoy about this movie is that everything is falling apart. Yes. Yeah. Like nothing is new. Nothing is modern. Just like the people. Just like exactly. Just yeah. like the people. Like everything. Because they're all dead. So right. they don't care if the shop gets dusty and cobwebby and whatever. Like, it doesn't matter to them because they're dead. They don't care anymore. So, right. like, it's like the town is dying around them. Yeah. Which anyway. is which is really cool. It has yeah. kind of, it's kind of like a fall of the House of Usher kind of feel. Yeah. And I feel like you notice it, or at least I noticed it more and more as the movie progressed. Yeah. Where I was like, why are all the houses here, like, kind of dusty and weird? why is the guy where he's bringing it to like the counter to get the film developed? Like, why are the shelves all like half bare and disheveled and covered yeah. in cobwebs? Like what it's is a, going yeah. on here? It's a great visual storytelling element. Yeah, exactly. There. But it, anyway, it reminds me a bit of, uh, I just watched the, have you ever seen my bloody Valentine? The original one? No, but you were talking about it the other day. Yeah. I what's one. I wish we'll do that one eventually. <laughs> um, but I just watched the remake, which, uh, not good. Is that is that the one with, uh, is that the one with David Boreanaz the remake? No, that's no. Valentine. Valentine. Yes. Okay, separate movie. Separate movie. Got it. Different movie, worth an entire conversation on its own. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> no, it's they they remade it about ten years ago. The 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 gimmick was that it was one of the big three D movies that came out. Oh, Jesus. It looks like it's shot on a phone. It's like <laughs> it's it's got that weird like straight to video. There's a, I can't describe the look of it, but there's a certain look that video has, mm. especially video from 10 years ago, yeah. that makes everything kind of feel like a porno to a certain extent. <laughs> um, but like they took the story of My Bloody Valentine, which is a, which is a fairly straightforward slasher court, sort of like urban legend slasher kind of story. Yeah. And they added in the, the this whole 
subplot about like um the town dying because the Jo- the mo- the the mine jobs are leaving. The killer is huh. is is mine. He's a mine based killer in, bo- in the, <laughs> the original one and the new one. But okay, but it's like they're 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 trying to add all this extra like story weight to it. Yeah, and it's just not interesting. Yeah, you just like don't need it for what it is. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, all of that stuff is so baked into the look and subtextual. Yeah, that it's just really adds to the whole thing where it's like yeah. they're not directly talking about the fact that this entire town looks like garbage. Right. But it kind of it is th- it's constantly there. Yes. And it subconsciously or not affects kind of like adds to the to the whole atmosphere. Yeah, and, and even like the costuming and 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 the music that Dobbs listens to, like yeah, the way the Dobbs music, yeah. dresses and the music he listens to, but then also like the woman who runs the diner, um, George Lemoyne slash Freddie, once he becomes the gas station attendant, like even the clothes they're wearing feel very 1950s. Right, yeah. Yeah, so it's this interesting, like it's it's almost trapped in time, but also falling apart. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what do you think? Is this should this, should this be on our list? It is not currently on the list. Would you put this on the list? <sighs> You know, I I think I would keep it off, but yeah. I think it would be close. Yeah. You know, like it's yeah. got it's got some interesting some interesting stuff. It's got it's got some things that feel very like they they are worth looking closer at, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't think it quite makes it. Yeah, probably not. There are so many movies on this list that I would take off that it's like, all right, if yeah. this is on the list, then fucking Dead and Buried should be on this yeah. list. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one for me. I okay. So here's I know I used this this comparison the last time. Yes. Uh, when we were doing, what the hell did we just do in February? Uh, do, do, we do, do, did do, 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 a Stephen frailty? King movie called Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet. I think I'm thinking of Frailty. Anyway, I think you're thinking of Frailty. The uh, uh, I said if if you're gonna have if if I can do a, a switch with this and Phantasm. Mm. I would do it immediately because yeah. let me expand on that. I the feeling I get from this movie. <laughs> I thought you were just gonna say because I hate Phantasm. Well, yes, that's <laughs> goodbye, folks. Understood at this point. Uh, the feeling I get from this movie is the feeling I I feel like I should be getting from Phantasm because Phantasm yeah. has kind kind of dabbles in the same arena of like funeral homes and. Tiny aliens. <laughs> well, people people dying people and their dying. bodies being yeah. interfered with. Right. Yeah. But like Phantasm has, and it has sort of a dreamlike. Yeah. They, they call it a dreamlike structure, but I think it's just a bad structure. Right. I think that's a that's a that's a retcon right yeah. there. Yeah. Um. But like, I never really it never really landed with me that way. Yeah. But me this neither. this movie I feel like does land with me that way, where it kind of creeps me out. Uh, in a sort of a way that's different than just like scaring me. Yeah. Uh, it has that sort of dreamlike atmosphere that I love. Um, yeah. I mean, I would I would switch it with Phantasm. That's fair. But I don't think I would say like this needs to this needs to be on the list. Let's get rid of number two hundred and drop this in there. Sure. Yeah, I can agree with that assessment. Cool. I think that's going to do it for our coverage of Dead and Buried. I hit the yes. randomizer button. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, beep, boop. 
And next up, we will be doing num hum. Okay, we're doing num hundred one hundred sixty six. We're doing number one hundred and sixty six. Which it's interesting that we that we're doing this now because I went through and looked because it seemed like we had done that number already. We yeah. haven't, but some of the movies we have already done yes. did briefly sit at that number. If that makes sense. Okay. So, for instance. <laughs> I can't even keep track anymore. Yeah. So, like, uh, there was one that was, like, 168 and then shifted to 166. Basically, my point is, if we had hit that number a while ago, we would have had to do a different one. Anyway, long story short, we're doing Dead Ringers, David Cronenberg. Oh, nice. Yes. Okay. Which will be a really huh. interesting one to do, because that's, talk about not flashy, but unnerving. Yeah. Dead Ringers is, is a good one. All right. Have you seen Dead Ringers? Oh, yes, a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. yeah. I haven't watched it in probably 10 years. I would say it's probably like 15 for me. Yeah, I yeah. would say it's so weird. I actually have a frame of reference <laughs> of how long that actually is because we've mm-hmm. been in this house since 2013. Wow. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, I definitely haven't watched it yeah. since I moved here. So. <laughs> that makes it easy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, we're going to uh, do Dead Ringers next time. Cool. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. Sign up for our Patreon where you can join Amanda and myself as we watch the uh, Junior Varsity uh, Stephen King adaptations this year. <laughs> the second stringers, the second if you str- will. I keep forgetting what the freaking... <laughs> I keep wanting to say B-team, second yeah. string. B-team That's it. works too. Yeah. Uh, January, we did It Chapter 2. February is Silver Bullet. March is we decide. What was the next one we were going to do? Was it Salem's Lot? Salem's Lot. Thank you. That would have been bad if I couldn't remember what we were going to (laughs) do when we had to do it. March is Salem's Lot, and then we're going to be. It's going to kind of be random off of there. But uh, you can also listen to our entire last year coverage of the Friday the Thirteenth series, which was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, you can listen to me slowly go insane. (laughs) Yes. Yes, she really wants to tap out around part nine, but yeah. there's so many more to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Clyde. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.